Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Agent Tan Show, where I speak with people, leaders, as well as experts to distill their experience, their know-how for us to learn and follow their footsteps. Today, we have a very interesting guest. His name is Sunny Saha. He's the GM of SSNC Blue Prism. He leads the company's rapidly expanding presence in the Asia-Pacific region. He oversees all aspects of the business across Australia, New Zealand, ASEAN, South Korea, India, and Greater China. With more than 25 years of senior leadership executive experience, Sunny has a track record of launching and hyperscaling diverse businesses in the technology, media, and telecom space. Prior to his current company, he was with CNN and Time Warner overseeing 52 services across markets of Asia Pacific. And I know that he also launched a theme park, which is something that I personally would like to dive into later on. Sunny has a special association with Thailand, orchestrating successful alliances and joint ventures with a number of enterprises like MCOT, CPO, TrueCorp, amongst many others. Outside of his corporate role, Sunny is an angel investor and provides mentorship to young entrepreneurs to help them navigate the challenges of starting and growing a business. So it'd be great to tap on Sunny today to provide some advice to the young entrepreneurs out there who's listening to this podcast. And with that, Sunny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great intro. Thank you. Help us to understand how did you end up in your current role as a GM APEC of Blue Prism? I've had a very enjoyable, fulfilling, diverse journey. I think you mentioned some of that, Adrian. It's very much like a, it's like a, it's like a big, great delicacies from different parts of the world, except in my case, there were different industries. And, and, and from a timing perspective, and this was just maybe coincidence or maybe my fortune, you know, I, was, I, I happened to be in those industries when they were going through some form of transformation or innovation in that respective industry. And most of that was driven by technology, right? So if you look at where I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not originally from this IT or software space, you know. I, I, my starting years were in the market research industry, you know, brand tracking initially for companies like Unilever, Pepsi, and PNG. And then I spent a lot of time on media research. And at that time, the whole market industry was going through this transformation. You know, it used to be recall-based studies, all becoming electronic, right? So that was kind of interesting. Then, as you mentioned, you know, I had a long tenure with Time Warner, Asia Pacific, I mean, with CNN, HBO, Cartoon Network. And that was like, you know, when I joined them, that was like the early years, right? They just started coming into our part of the world. All the way till the time streaming services were just about kicking off, right? So lots of changes that happened in that industry, the whole media industry over those years. Then I had a brief stint with telecom. You know, I was working with some of the larger telcos, helping them grow subscribers. And those days, 4G was opening up this whole bandwidth, if you remember, you know, the whole video gaming, social media, right? So lots of changes, new, new wave for telecom. That's what they called it then. Then I moved into, you know, about six years ago in this whole space of artificial intelligence and automation, you know, where we are essentially using technology to enhance the future of work. So very enriching journey in that sense. And but that, that theme of diversity, you know, has been pretty common, right? Starting from my early years as a child, you know, growing up, people with multiple languages. When we moved to Hong Kong, same thing, Singapore, you know, multiple nationalities. So I've been fortunate in a way to be able to participate and learn those, you know, learn from different perspectives. 
And just going back to your question, that's something kind of I've used, or maybe that interest in different perspectives has been, has really made me what I feel as a better leader, because there's so much, there's so much advantage with diversity. If you leverage it well, you know, it can really help you with, get to better results, right? So that's, that's kind of been my journey, Adrian. That's really fascinating because not many people are able to move across different industry and excel in each and every one of them. I'm just wondering, is it something that is inherent? <laughs> You're born with that DNA to thrive in different sectors, in different industry? Or could it be something that maybe perhaps, I don't understand you had a long history with sports to the extent when you were a kid, you actually use an antenna <laughs> to play hockey. That's interesting. Do you think there might be something from your earlier days that somehow shaped the way you take on all these challenges? Um, when I was a child, I still remember, you know, I, I, I used to ask a lot of questions. All my friends were from different religions, different customs, and, and every time they would do something, you know, I was very interested in it. And I actually used to get into it. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I don't mean with any religious intention. Like, I mean, I used to go to a church. Right. I mean, I was born as a Hindu, for instance, but I used to go to a church because I just found the whole learning, you know, why they do it, what those learnings are. I've, I've gone to mosques and, you know, spent time there. I think it's, it's almost kind of, you know, I, I, I like learning about new industries. Maybe that's what it was. I'm saying industries. It was about new things and going back to the antenna, you know, you know, it was just about getting deeper into something and really trying to get a good sense of it, I would, I would probably attribute it to, yeah, some of it could be the background, you know, the early growing years. And then as time moved on, you know, I've had the opportunity to try it out, you know. Your yeah, openness to embracing diverse viewpoints might also be quite interesting because when it comes to religion and things like politics, people are always very extreme. It's always very one-sided. But there are people who are able to embrace different point of view I can't remember who said it. I think it's one of one, one of a great philosopher. The the ultimate the ultimate level of a man is to the ability to hold diverse viewpoints in their mind and still continue to function. And I think trying to embrace it, trying to see things from different point of view might perhaps be something that could have contributed to your ability to absorb all these different diverse industries and of course going the extra mile to make it successful. One of your biggest success, I understand, was launching the first theme park in Asia for Cartoon Network, which is also the first of its kind in the world. Share with us more about that experience because I do understand likely you did not have any prior theme park experience. How did you manage this when you don't have a playbook to begin with? For most people, it will be so frighteningly, you know, paralyzing for them because how, what, what do I do? Where do I begin? It's a blank sheet of paper. How do you It was not just theme parks. We launched, we launched apparel, we launched branded stores, we launched preschools, we launched massively, massive multiplayer online games, MMOGs, if you remember, right? We launched branded cruises, we launched a branded aircraft and a branded MRT, right? So, well, let me clarify. I mean, we didn't do it ourselves, as you rightly said. I mean, we didn't do it ourselves. It was, it was always in partnership with someone. So if you take the example of the well, it was the world's first Cartoon Network theme park, not just Asia. It was the world's first, which we lost in Thailand. The licensee was an accomplished real estate and experiences company, right? So they had that experience. But, you know, taking something from a TV screen to a physical environment, you know, the whole experience aspect is very different, right? So my teams, 
spend a lot of time in other such locations. I mean, whether it's themed entertainment places, amusement parks, you know, watching and learning the interactions with consumers. I mean, they also had to learn about an architectural element because, you know, to convert, to translate basically that into an experience. Because it's not about sticking an image, right, on the physical world. It has, it has to make sense. It has to connect while staying true to the brand. And, and because it was first of a kind, like I said, right, there was no other theme park. I mean, there were no other cartoon network theme parks anywhere in the world. So it was new. Everything was original, right? A great experience, real, real solid accomplishment for my team. Did you personally try every ride? Yes, I had to. And I did enjoy it, right? So, I mean, to give you an example, right? And I'm probably overstating this, but I mean, if you take character, right? If you take a Powerpuff Girls, they are all about trying to save the world. So that, that ride has to have that experience. If it's Scooby, you know, he has a fear of the darkness, but he has a night to solve mysteries. Uh, if it's Tom and Jerry, it's all about Jesus, right? So really bringing the brand to life. So I had to go and check it out, right? Whether it's really coming through. Can help the listeners to understand exactly what Blue Prism does before we dive into your involvement in the remarkable achievement. Blue Prism pioneered what is called robotic process automation, right? RPA. And this was many years ago. This was like 20 years ago. And, and we've been kind of redefining. We created that market and we've been redefining it all through. In very simple terms, we provide a digital workforce to augment a human workforce in an enterprise. That's kind of what we do. So we give you a workforce that can do pretty much what humans can to augment what you're trying to achieve, you know, to be able to have the extra capacity and the capability. That's kind of, in a very simple form, what Blue Prism stands for. One of the major airlines in our part of the world, and I'm sure Adrian, you've flown that, or you might be flying that soon. You know, about 40, a significant proportion of the on-ground safety checks are done by digital workers. So this is checking all of the, all of the, whether all of the pre-flight safety equipment is kind of working, not working. It's all done by digital workers. Does that help? Or I'll give you another example, very close to home, Singapore, right? NUHS, you remember that time of the NUHS, one of our healthcare clusters? Uh, during the time of the mm-hmm. pandemic, whole testing process and all of that, so what the digital workers helped do is they reduced the registration time. You remember we had to register for the test. They reduced it from two minutes to 30 seconds. And that's what helped us, you know, pull off for a thousand tests almost a day, every day. That's kind of what digital workers did behind the scenes. How do you leverage your past experiences, again, from different sectors to drive success in the intelligent automation. When I joined Globalism, right, about six years ago, it was in some ways, it was in some ways nostalgic because it was very similar to, you know, my early days in Time Warner. You know, we had a couple of customers, Globalism had a couple of customers then in, a, in some countries and just a handful of team members. And, and if you see us now, we have teams working across the region with customers in 14 countries, 70 industry segments and, and a solid ecosystem of partners. Like we've got about 50 odd partners that work with us across the region. But while that's been a rapid growth story, you know, there are two aspects that I'd like to kind of highlight, right? And, and, and the first is, and you know this region, Adrian, so you'll understand, you know, it's been very much a localized growth story. 
And what I mean by that, I mean, and this applies to all industry. That's not just, you know, specific to the technology space, you know. I mean, the markets in our region, you know, they have, they have different rates or different approaches to tech adoption. Right? There, are, there are cultural nuances. I mean, there are local ways of working, how decisions are made, how investment returns are evaluated, you know, and therefore it has to be in some ways very localized for a given market, right? So that's, that's been one stream, right? You've been good at that. And the other stream is, I mean, I, I, I mean, you asked me to talk about Blue Prism, right? Blue Prism itself has gone through its own evolution. And, and that's primarily because, you know, this, the industry or the, the, the dynamics of what we are trying to accomplish is, is moving so fast, right? So, so starting with what I mentioned, right? We used to offer a digital workforce. But then over the last few years, we started investing and evolving the platform with AI capability. So, so that the digital worker can do almost all of what humans can, right? Which is, which is what is called intelligent automation, right? Like the word intelligent automation is that. Yeah. Now we have evolved once again, right? We've changed, well, not changed. We are redefining intelligent automation to basically our entire operation, right? So, so we, we provide intelligence, which is basically, you know, you, so that you know what's, what's working right and what needs to be tuned up. So there's one segment of that. There's orchestration, where work is handed off between humans and technology. You know, so there's a handoff happening every now and then. And then there is core automation, which we, we were always good at, right? The whole automation and AI space. So that's kind of, that's been the blueprism evolution as well. So you've got the localized aspect going on. Right, or localized approach going on, but at the same time, the platform has been emerging. And and going back to your question, I think I think the the the, the story behind the growth, right? I mean, which is what you were asking. I mean, I think that's been. I think if I can boil it down, it's primarily been the intimacy with customers. You know, because see, we're not selling as much as we may talk about product features. At the end of the day, we're actually delivering outcomes, right? Significant transformational outcomes. And because we are working with the customer, trying to help them reshape the future, their future of work. So educating and working with them closely, you know, understanding what's holding them back, what they can uncover. That's primarily what we do. When it comes to automation and AI, there's always this question that we cannot get away from because many people have concerns about automation and AI taking away their mm. jobs. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you explain the positive impact that automation and AI can have on the future of work? Well, digital transformation is often licensed with technology. But, but in reality, it is about humans and technology, not just tech, right? Because the human component, the human workforce, it's very core to the, to the whole execution of that program of work. And like you mentioned, you know, understandably, there have been concerns about automation you know, leading to job displacement. I mean, this was, this was probably more prevalent in the earlier days because at that time, automation was equated directly with human labor savings, right? But over time, it has become evident that automation and all these technologies in the AI space, right? They are they're really a collaborative force. They augment human capability rather than replacing because I mean, if you look across organizations, and this is happening in every organization, right? And for some time, there is too much work, too little time, too few resources to serve demanding customers. 
right? So if you, if you speak of a couple of areas where, you know, where intelligent automation is making a significant impact, okay? And I'm not talking about cost savings here, right? I'm talking about other forms of impact. Innovation. I mean, if you talk about innovation, resource bandwidth has always been the primary const, you know, constraint to innovation, right? I mean, we know that human creativity is limitless. So by effectively taking the robot out of the human, repetitive, error-prone tasks, humans are able to focus on innovation and problem solving. Right? That's kind of what we are good at. Why now? Right? I mean, I'm, I'm giving you, this just happened last month. You know, there was a, a hospital in Australia, which was given a stern warning by their the accrediting body because this senior specialist was so swamped with work that they were unable to train their junior staff. And some of them were so exhausted they have been involved in car accidents after long shifts, right? So intelligent automation actually helps create the time and the capacity basically to manage burnout. And, and we've seen enough example of how healthcare institutions are using it. I gave you an example of NUHS, right? To, to manage, to help the frontline. And, and just kind of thinking about the future, right? I mean, if you look at this whole work-life balance, there's so many countries, so many organizations around the world have been doing this four-week workday trial. Right? I mean, if you take a market like, mm. I think I was reading this in Germany, you know, Germany has a chronic labor shortage, but they're still looking to reduce the work right, to make their workers more energized. So the work's still going to be there. There will be constant disruptions, you know, geopolitical, supply chain, global warming, regular, whatever, right? I mean, that all adds to more demand. And that's where the digital workers come in. You know, they work 24 by 7. They don't take holidays. They can be easily moved around, right? And so they actually supplement, they provide the continuity to eventually give the work that balance. Right? Mm. So, so I think more and more employers are therefore, you know, they're turning to intelligent automation essentially to make the, the life of their workers, their employees easier to mitigate burnout and, and the whole overall experience, right? I mean, improving the experience. That's kind of what's happening today. It sounds to me every Singapore employees should welcome automation and AI because we have been ranked commonly as either the number one or number two hardest working nation in Asia Pacific, if not the world, with the number of hours that we put in. Contrast to a place like Germany where they work significantly less hours. But still, I think there's something that all of us should explore there. You mentioned about four-day work week. I'm also personally quite fascinated with this particular aspect. Of course, there are companies who've done trial, there's companies who've done Four and a half day, at which I've spoken with as well. What is your personal take on, on four-day work week? Generically speaking, do, do you think it's something that most companies or some company could consider? And how should they make it perhaps more applicable or, or, or feasible for their own organization? You mentioned Germany. Germany, France, Spain, New Zealand, Japan. I mean, Unilever are doing this in, in New Zealand, right? They're doing a four-day, they're doing the trials. And by and large, or at least this is what we read about, right? By and large, it, we are headed there, right? So that's kind of the world perspective because like I mentioned, right? People are, let's call it overworked. And I think, you know, productivity therefore is suffering or, you know, at least that's coming across. My personal view is, I mean, I think, I, I think just going back to the same thing, right? There's so much to get done that we are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. 
I think the world will get to a four-day work week. I mean, that's my personal view. It will get to a four-day work week. It will still have a lot of work to be done, but we will get there. As a former career coach, I'm also quite fascinated about people and the jobs that they go into. Obviously, there are certain sectors and industries and functions that are sunrising and there are those that are sunsetting. With all this conversation that we had about automation and AI, clearly it is one of the sunrising industry or function that people should be looking at. For professionals who are listening to this podcast, they might be interested in pursuing a career in the field of automation or intelligent automation or AI. Do you have any advice on the skill set, the knowledge that they should acquire first, any prerequisite? Do they have to go and learn how to build a theme park before jumping into automation? Uh, intelligent automation, as you mentioned, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fast-moving space. In fact, in fact, most of us or many of us most of us, many of us may not even realize how it is playing in their daily lives, right? Like, for example, when my wife bought a, bought a car, she had no clue. She was doing the whole insurance thing. There was no human involved in it, right? The whole process. In the last three years, she's not had to interact with any human, you know, because you don't need a human to talk about, about, about your date of birth, and, you know, basically facts that can easily be done by a machine, right? She's going to need a human, hopefully not soon, someday when a car is stranded in the middle of the road, right? That's when she really needs the element of empathy, the element of, you know, judgment and all of that stuff, right? So that's just to kind of talk about, you know, it's happening. It, it's kind of ingrained. It's very much part of the fabric across operations. It's, it's becoming, in some ways, it's becoming tough to call it out as a separate shield of work, right? So, so that's kind of the, the piece on intelligent automation. And, and, and you were saying in terms of my journey, that was your question, right? So, so, you know, as a child, see, I wanted to become a scientist. Okay. And this is, I was very young then and make new gadgets. Basically, I wanted to make life easier for people. I, I think the Walkman had a big influence on my life, right? But, and, and, and when you see me today, right? I mean, I, what I'm doing now is I'm making work enjoyable with technology and therefore, in a way, I'm making life better and easier for people. So. It kind of connects, right? The path I may have taken may be different, uh, but it's towards a similar outcome. So, so I, I mean, I can only say, I mean, it does not matter where you start or how you go about it. I mean, you can get to your destination. For our Gen Z listeners, I do have to define what a Walkman is. <laughs> it is something like an iPod. Sorry, iPod may also be too old. It is basically a music playing device and all your music is stored on this thing called cassette tape. You can Google about it. So coming back to our conversation, Sonia, with the rapid advancement of technology, what do you personally see the future hold for RPA and AI? What are some of the development that you're personally most excited about? Number one, I think there'll be, there will be further convergence between what used to be, well, in a technology world, world you know, disparate areas between automation, AI, and all of the components, right? There used to be all distinct units that used to bring together and there'll be more convergence. I mean, we've done it, like I mentioned earlier about bringing intelligence, orchestration, automation as one comprehensive stack, but there is potential for more. So continuous convergence of these different technologies will, will happen, right? So that's, that's one thing which we see happening and will happen. Second, you know, when you look at all these machine learning and decisioning abilities that are coming in, right? I mean, that, that's increasing the capability of technology. And, and, you know, for us, the digital workers, 
to address predictable outcomes, right? So not just analyzing, but in advance predicting what could happen, right? So the predictive capabilities will get better, much, much better than what they are today. So that's another trend. And then this whole development in terms of, you know, what's happening in the gen AI and large language models, or at least where we are taking it, right? So not just helping companies, their automation programs, but 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 take it across, you know, expand the scope into what used to be, you know, hard to automate, complex, you know, mission critical, but managed within the realms of security and compliance. And this is important because if that doesn't happen, it can go the wrong way, right? So 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 broadly, you know, this whole sophistication and intelligent automation, I think it'll continue to amplify the capabilities of us, of the human workforce. Right? And, and, and I'm, of course, very kicked and excited about, you know, this continuous phase of innovation because our teams are making it all possible. You know, what we're doing today is what will make work better tomorrow. I think it'll be a very exciting phase as to what we've seen most recently with how AI is really evolving at such a rapid pace. Before you can get used to something, something new came up. I'm very certain all this will be infused into all this future of work automation and to help us do our work better and to make perhaps a four-day work week a reality. Sunny, with that, thank you so much for coming onto the show. For listeners who may be keen to learn more about Blue Prism or maybe to you know find out more about yourself, where can they Blue go to? I'll put that in the show notes. Once again, Sunny, thank you so much for coming Thanks, onto the Adrian. show. Thank you. All the best.